Welcome to Plan B Security with your host, Mike McIntosh. Welcome to an episode of Plan B Security that's old enough to vote. That's right, episode 18. And in this one, we're talking about bridging your customers and your castle. And before we get carried away in the meats and potatoes of this one, quick little disclaimer that these are views of my own and do not represent any views of my employer, family, friends, pets, or acquaintances. And you know what? It's not magic, it's talent and sweat. People like me ensuring your packets get delivered unsniffed. So what do I do? I make sure that one bad config on one key component doesn't bankrupt the entire f***ing company. That's what the I do. To me, information security is all about integrity. And you can hear a similar theme in what Guilfoyle was saying, and that was from Silicon Valley, one of the first couple episodes. I highly recommend it, one of my favorite series. Uh, can be a little vulgar, but it's absolutely comical if you can stomach it. Now, about six to nine months ago, I was talking to the executive team for a company and, you know, we got into the conversation of what is information security? And they asked me to try to explain it in as layman terms as possible, because to them, they couldn't understand the justification of the cost that it will take to spin up a, an information security program. So I asked for a moment so I can sit there and collect my thoughts, because obviously I'm so close to the situation all the time that this was an opportunity for where I realized I had to detach myself from the realism of what I deal with day to day. And that ranges from doing design reviews and architecture reviews into reviewing vendors, maybe responding to a few security events. Maybe that even means something like configuring github.com to make sure that it's as secure as possible. Maybe it even means configuring Slack or, you know, reviewing a Slack connect invite coming into the organization. There are so many little tiny pieces that when you're dealing with this stuff day to day, somebody asks you what's information security, that's the first thing you're going to go to because it's at the front of your mind. It's what you're most familiar with in, in almost like a recency bias. So I was like, okay, you know what? Just give me a minute. Let me think about this. So I leaned back in my chair and I'm in San Francisco at this time. So I'm looking out the window and what do I see? I see the Golden Gate Bridge and I see the Bay Bridge. And I, I start thinking to myself, I'm like, this is the perfect metaphor. What does a bridge have to do with information security? And I could see the perplexed look on their face as I made a comment about using a bridge as the metaphor. So I politely asked for them to just be patient with me. Let, you know, let me see if I can explain this to them correctly. So I walked up to a whiteboard and on the left side, I drew customers on the right side. I put a picture of a castle, right? The castle signifies the data, the company, the services, the intellectual property, all that, the, the stuff that you're trying to protect, right? The money in the bank account of the company, all of that stuff is within the castle. Now the customers, again, they're on the left side of the bridge and this could be their homes. It could be their businesses. It could be, you know, their offices, whatever for them to interface with your business, they need to use the bridge. So think of the bridge almost as the internet. I don't want to say exactly like the internet because there's different types, right? There, You could have a point-to-point -point connection, you could have a VPN service, you could be going over to public internet, whatever the case is. But it, it's the transport mechanism to get from point A to point B. And again, if the customer is trying to make a payment to you, right? Think of that as the lane on the bridge, one of the lanes. They have to make a payment. That's going in one lane. They have to get data, right? They're making API requests or they're sending CSV files to you to integrate with your inventory management system. That's another lane. The third lane could be the way that they're trying to get metrics out of your system. Maybe it's an analytics platform that you're, you're hosting and they want to be able to pull that data down. 
All this stuff is happening in parallel, but it's all between the customers and your castle because your castle is so many different little pieces moving together in synchrony that that's what makes your business run. So one of them said, okay, I get that. That makes sense. You know, if the customer needs to get access to data, they're going to go across the bridge. They're going to get it. They're going to go back home, whatever. They need that bridge in order to, you know, interface with the company. And they pretty much verbatim repeated what I said. And I was like, exactly, you get that. And they're like, okay, well, how does information security fit in? Is information security like a gate at either end of the bridge? And I was like, no, it could be if you want it to, but it's much more than that. Information security is the team that's responsible for making sure that the bridge is safe to drive on. So knowing my audience, I expected a little bit of a challenge and I got it. They said, well, why not just, you know, have a pen test done once a year, which is the equivalent of making sure that, you know, the bridge isn't falling apart and that we're checking all the expansion joints and that it, it's all good. And I said, you're following along, but that's very small sighted. Information security is not just making sure that the bridge is safe, but it's making sure that the cars driving across are safe. It's making sure what's inside the cars is safe. It's making sure that we can always ensure to the business that that car can get from point A to point B. Think about your... So I started drawing comparisons to the different parts of the upkeep of the bridge and the traffic across the bridge to different realms of information security. So part of it, you know, let's start with privacy engineering. For example, privacy engineering is making sure that one car can't see the occupants of another car. Think about all the privacy laws that are starting to pop up across the world today. We should always be taking a most private perspective first and then open it up to fit the needs of the product. For example, if it's a forum or there's a communication aspect, obviously you need to know who the other people you're communicating with are, but it's an intentional decision to make sure you can see the other occupants and the other cars driving on the bridge. And then I said, let's think about the cars themselves. Your identity and access management engineers, they're responsible for making sure who's inside the car is who they say they are. And then the authorization is making sure that they have entitlements to, to go down certain paths, or once they cross the bridge that they can only go down certain roads or pass certain tolls that they're entitled to pass. And that's not all. We need to think about the car itself. In a corporate model, the car may be a corporate owned device, like a laptop or a mobile phone, and the people inside are your employees. So how do you make sure that that car is even supposed to be going across the bridge in the first place? So now this is where, yes, we talked about the gates on either side. Okay, well, let's put a toll booth. So now that we have the toll booth, we can make sure that only certain people are getting across the way that they're supposed to. Well, what if we only want to let certain types of cars go across, regardless if it's an employee or it's a consumer? This is where things like your terms of service, this is where part of your legal program, this is where part of your privacy policy starts to show up because in order to get across, you have to have people that are operating within the guidelines that you're requiring for them to access your information. And you betcha, there's even more. We have to take it a step further and make sure that we're not exposing the car to risk when they're entering your toll booth. Think of that as your brand integrity program, which would also encompass making sure that your bridge looks like it's being maintained even if you're not. Nobody wants to drive over a bridge that doesn't look safe. Just like nobody's going to put in credit card information into a website that's not protected by TLS or doesn't have a URL that starts with HTTPS. So I took a quick pause and I said, I'm not done yet, but are you starting to see the trend? The next thing we need to think about is the supply chain. Where are we getting the materials to build the castle? 
is the castle going to fall apart or does the castle increase the risk to the people that are driving the car that are uh, trying to approach it? Same thing with the bridge. If we built the bridge, what materials are we using? Are there vulnerabilities inside of these open sourced or vendor based programs that we're, we're basing all of our infrastructure off of? Does the car itself, even if it's a client device, right? Did the, the customer or the consumer, did they jailbreak their device and do they have malware on it that's going to try to attack our systems when they're loading it into their web browser? Is the car free of a session cookie stealer where they'll be able to take the parking ticket or your toll booth ticket and share that with somebody else so they can get across because it looks like they're the ones that have the monthly pass in order to get through? This is why it's important to make sure that you're doing secret scanning in your code base. This is why you want to make sure that you're looking for PII and chat platforms in your, your email just to make sure people aren't either accidentally or intentionally doing things that they're not supposed to because that's against the policy, right? And that's both internal and external facing policies. You also want to make sure that things like your toll booth, are they open air toll booths or are they covered toll booths with a height restriction, right? Because like, let's say you only want to let cars go across, but then there's a truck that has the word car written on the side of it. Well, technically, if it says it's a car, it could be assumed to be a car, but if it doesn't fit underneath the height restrictions, well, this is something that you want to think about and maybe compare it to your application security program. Are you validating the things that are coming across the toll booth in the first place? Can you make sure that somebody that says that they're a car is actually a car? Can you make sure that uh, a truck can't impersonate a car? Jokingly, what about an El Camino? It's a car and a truck. This is where you want to apply different types of user validation to make sure, because again, remember in earlier episodes of Plan B Security, I talked about how you can never trust user input. Always expect it to be malicious. If you're pushing your development team to be fast, they're going to skip these checks because it adds friction. If you have your growth team pushing for faster onboarding or more monthly active users or whatever the metric is, they're going to be trying to cut every one of these little checks out so they can speed people up getting through your toll booth, right? Think of a fast pass or an easy pass or wherever you live. Maybe, you know, you have an RFID based toll booth system. If that toll booth detector is supposed to be tied to a specific car and there's no license plate readers, you can take that and move it to any car. Now is the person that's using the toll booth detector, the person that's supposed to, are they the one paying the account? Is the person allowed to even use that RFID tag? Who knows? These are things that your application security team is responsible for. But wait, there, there's even more. Let's say a big wave came and knocked over the bridge. Is there another way for people to be able to get to your castle? Let's say that a tornado hit and your castle got destroyed. Can you build another castle and do you have the same data and can you serve the same, same information? This is where your business continuity planning comes into place. And this is one of those things where disaster recovery is usually falling underneath your information security program. Your compliance and risk teams are usually going to be the people standing outside with the, the clipboards, making sure each quarter that the, the bridge is doing what it's supposed to, that it's, it's safe, it's not falling apart, that the materials are still okay, that there's no stress, that the metal's not weakening, that there's no bending or bowing that there's no bricks falling off your castle. And if you're a public company, you're going to have to be putting this on a 10Q and a 10K for quarterly and annual reports filed with the SEC, which then anybody can go up and take a look at. And then you're going to need somebody to make sure that the bridge can even handle the amount of weight that you're expecting. And I know some people are like, well, that should be an engineering problem to solve. I always think about the FCAPS model again, right? Fault tolerance, configuration, audibility, performance, and security. 
And I like to put performance underneath the purview of security only because usually if you're trying to increase the performance, you're decreasing security. It's a, a one-to-one trade-off normally. So by putting it underneath that purview, you can make sure that you're increasing the performance while maintaining and not introducing a regression into the hardened uh, posture that you put in place. Now, this whole time I was sitting at the whiteboard and I'm drawing all this stuff out and it was a mess. There's things all over the place. There's cars, there's trucks, there's toll booths, there's gates, there's, you know, cars in the water, little splash marks and stuff, you know, like use your imagination. I probably drew it. So I took the eraser. I erased everything. I went back to the hill on the left side, the hill on the right side. I drew the castle. I drew the, the population of customers and I just drew a line across. I was like, will your business function this way? And they said, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, how long will it continue to function this way? At what point will you make a decision that you want to put in the security program for all the controls that you need to be monitoring? And they said they didn't know. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and let's play devil's advocate a little bit. Now, if I told you to pick three and that you had to implement three, which ones would you choose? You'd probably go for either the costliest ones or the quickest ones for the cheapest or the ones that had the largest impact that are, again, also the cheapest because that's why we're having this discussion in the first place. So do you need a business continuity program when you're a brand new startup and you're still trying to find your market fit? As long as your developers that's running your database and doing your migrations has the ability to, to manage your, your updates and uh, make sure that there's backups and that they're, they at least tested their backups to know that there's a backup restore strategy, you probably don't need the whole business continuity program. Okay, are you collecting payment card information and are you willing to take on the risk of either being sued or fined by payment card processors and the credit card companies themselves? Even though sometimes it's just a self-assessment and you don't always need a third-party processor to come in depending on the volume of, of transactions you're doing, you still don't want to open yourself up to needless risk like that because the fines can be significant. So if you said yes to the PCI piece, you're going to use PCI to inform the three most important things that you're going to be implementing. Are you operating in Ireland or the rest of the European Union? Are you operating in California? If the answer is yes, there's certain privacy restrictions that you want to make sure are put in place. You're going to focus on that piece. That's what you're going to use to inform the three most important pieces that you put in place. Let's say that your business is just processing a lot of data entry, but it's sensitive data entry. Maybe it's CSV files that uh, is for medical billing and coding. You're going to want to make sure that you're HIPAA or high trust compliant. And you'll probably end up funding a corporate security program before you start doing an application security program because if there's no interface for people to connect to and you're doing it via encrypted data shares, corporate security is going to be able to take point on a lot of the things around making sure that you're preventing the phishing attacks, making sure that people are uh, encrypting and sharing information, uh, blocking your USB removable media drives, making sure patches are applied on devices that are accessing the information, so on and so forth. Do you have a robust platform or a website which has many microservices that are doing some sort of, you know, media encoding or maybe AI processing or something like that? You're probably going to want to invest in your cloud security program. You want to make sure that the infrastructure is safe, it's secure, that there's no entry points for malicious actors to get or uh, into or to modify any of the data that's going through any of the services. And then you'll probably also want to follow that up with your application security program making sure that there's things like, you know, service to service authentication to make sure that there's sanitization on all the inputs. And no, you don't need a thousand engineers in order to do this. Just because the industry standard says XYZ per engineer doesn't mean that you actually need to apply that. 
It depends on how smart you want to be with the implementation of your program. If you want these engineers to draft SDKs that then your engineers can consume and you know that this is the only way that they can do it and that all the security is built into the SDK that security is managing, okay, well, that's one approach you can take. What if your application security engineer is providing on-the-job training, literally putting people into a classroom saying, this is how we're going to code it, this is why we're going to code it, and if we don't code it this way, showing them what the risk is, actually breaking it and doing sort of like a capture to flag. Sometimes I've seen that be fairly successful. So there's a lot you can do with a little amount of people. Let's say that you want to start integrating with more clients. Maybe there's vendors or merchants or something that you need to connect to or that need to get connected into your infrastructure and they want you to have a SOC 1 or SOC 2. There are certain controls that will need to be put in place so they can be tested. The testing will then be certified and it will be shared in the form of a report which then these vendors will feel comfortable working with you because they know that there's no funny business going on. At the end of the day, it's just a bridge connecting point A to point B. It's up to you to decide what you care about and how much you want to protect the customers. Be sure to tune in to episode 19 of Plan B Security, where we'll talk about the phases and evolution of a detection and response program. You can think about that in this metaphor as the emergency services that are responding to car crashes that happen on the bridge. Literally, there's a metaphor for everything here. That's why it's so important, and that's why I love what I do. And with that, thanks for tuning into this episode of Plan B Security with your host, me, Mike McIntosh. 